Good morning. How are you guys? Good to see you. If you would turn the Bibles uh, to the book of Jonah, please. Jonah chapter 4. We're going to finish up there today. Boo. Oh, no. Say it ain't so. <laughs> we are going to finish up Jonah. Got a lot of fun things planned ahead. Uh, this is not the book of Jonah. I need to find that as well. Page <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a little, little tiny book. Remember, it's one, like one page, front and back in my Bible. So It's in the Old Testament. That's right. Got Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Jonah. Chapter, chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Uh, before we get started there, I, I would like to, uh, to cover a couple things. First off, I think it's uh, important that we stop and, and have prayer for those who are in Texas right now in the, in the coast there and in the Gulf who are experiencing some, some torrential rain, hurricanes, destruction, devastation, loss of life, and property. So can we stop and pray for them? Let's, let's pray. Father, we, we pause right now um, relishing in your grace and your sovereignty. We know that uh, you are still on your throne and moving in and among your people. God, we pray for those who are down in, in Texas along those Gulf cities who are being uh, hit hard by this, uh, this storm, Harvey. God, we, we ask that you would be with them. We ask that, uh, that they could have been evacuated, God. And God, I, more than anything, we ask that your presence would be there, that, that you would make yourself so known in this time of, of loss or devastation, God, in this time of uncertainty, that people would know Jesus and feel the presence of Jesus and be drawn to him for their hope. God, we pray for those who are believers down there and even, even those who are just uh, the unredeemed who are made in your image, that they would be ba- uh, banding together, uniting, God, to serve their, their brothers and sisters uh, in this time of need, that they would, they would unite together uh, arm in arm as, uh, as needs arise, and God, that you would use us as a, as a family very far away in whatever capacity you choose, God, that you would direct us to those places and those people, those churches, those, those needs as times, uh, those times come up, but God, we, we, just, we place this all in your hands. We know that you are sovereign, that you are God, you are good, and you are gracious, and we ask that you would be present there. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. As we uh, as we go forward, also uh, I wanted to mention um, the announcement from earlier. Ryan had mentioned we're going to the park next week. Okay, did you get that? Like, wait, the park? We're going. So yeah, ten o'clock. So uh, we have a, a, a slot of time from ten to two uh, picked out, and, and I just want to let you know I'm really excited about that. Some of you are like, well, that's kind of weird. I don't know if I'll do that. It's it's not the normal thing. That's right. It's not the normal thing. Um, it's it, what it is. It's the family thing, and it's FBC Family Fellowship Sunday. It's a day where we get to go uh, be with each other in kind of a relaxed setting. We get to to worship, and and maybe you know these times where we're together on Sunday mornings are wonderful and, and very powerful and impacting in our lives. Uh, but you don't get to to talk much, do you? You don't get to interact much here, do you? So we want to we want to really heighten that on Sunday morning. Uh, there's going to be opportunities for that as we as we do our praise and worship out there, as we uh, visit together, as we pray for one another, as we go to the Word and discuss the Word of God. Um, I told the church council this last week. I said, you know, we have these sermons online for people to hear, and we'll we'll do our best to record the one on Sunday out there as well. But when people listen to it, it's going to be what what were they doing in the park? What was going on out there? Because it's not going to be your normal sermon as far as uh, I start and I go through a bunch of text and then I end. We're going we're gonna to talk about some things. We're going to get to discuss. 
We aren't going to have a formal seating arrangement. We're not going to have our chairs all in rows. It's going to be our blankets and our, our lawn chairs, our comfy chairs. Come on, bring, bring your chairs, bring your blankets, bring, bring uh, whatever you need to be comfortable and hang out with each other. Um, bring a big blanket to share, right? Uh, the, the goal really is that we, as a family, would go out and be a family. Amen? That we would be excited to be there, encouraged uh, that, that young and old should be there, uh, participating together. And, and one of the greatest things about the community of God uh, is that we, we are here as much for ourselves as for others as well, right? That we, listen, I want you to understand something. When you're missing, we miss out. When you're missing, we miss out. Yeah, you may miss out as well, but, but that's how the church works. We are here to benefit each other. We, the scripture says that we belong to one another. So don't think that you are just an island of your own and come to benefit yourself and leave. We need you, right? I, I need you, and, and I owe it to God to love you, and you owe it to God to love me, and that's the family of God. So children, welcome. There's not going to be a nursery. There's not going to be a daycare or a preschool. We are going to be the one big, fun family that might be a little messy, and that's okay. We are going to worship God, and we are going to read his word, and we're going to pr- just pray together and, and, and be the church that day. And then we're going to break bread together. We're going to have fellowship over food. We're going to cook some tri-tip, some chicken, some salads. You guys, you guys are instructed to bring a dessert, right? You bring a dessert to share, right? And we're going to have some games set up. If you, bring, a, bring a game. If you think this, you have a game that you love to play with your, your family, like a, a, a card game or a dice game or, a, or a, a yard game, bring that. We're going to have some things set up as well. But there's options and opportunities for everyone. So if you think you have to be athletic because they're going to have volleyball set up, you don't. And we will have volleyball set up, but you won't have to be athletic. Okay, maybe you want to play cribbage. So, so I've talked to some younger people, and, and myself included. I used to play cribbage a lot. I, I loved it. Stan was a pro at cribbage, right? Stan and Lynn played all the time. And he gave me a refresher course about, oh, what was it, a year and five months ago before he left? And I haven't got one since. Right? I need a refresher in cribbage. So if you can bring your cribbage board out and help me, we'll sit down at the table and play. Okay? We want to be together, love together, live together, play together. Okay? We want to be the church that day. Um, so come, come there as, as long as you can and, and hang out with us. Uh, food, fellowship, just a fun family day. We'd love to see it. So that, that's, I just want you to hear my heart on that day. It's not, it's not just, oh, we're going to go to the park and worship like 4th of July. Okay, we're, we're going to go to the park and be, be the family of God in the park. Okay? Any, any questions? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask if you have any questions about that. Bring a friend if you want. Yeah, what's that? We're bringing some tables um, so where you can eat at, but really it's going to be picnic style. So grab your plate if you have a little table you want to set up. We don't want to do a bunch of setup. We're just going to go out and, and bring what you need, okay? We, we will bring tables if it makes it easier for some to sit out and eat. We, and, and those tables, we'll probably have, oh, I don't know, let's say six, six round tables, eight round tables set up out there, and we'll bring the chairs for those tables, okay? But yeah, bring a friend. What's that? There's shade. There's plenty of shade there. It's going to be a hot day. But there's plenty of shade in that area, that treat area, and we'll go out this week. I talked to Dane a little bit about it, and Chase and I will go out too, and we'll, we'll make sure we know exactly where the shade is going to be at a certain time, so we're good to go, okay? Just uh, bring, a, bring your favorite dessert and a 9 by 13 pan and have fun sharing it. It doesn't matter. If we don't get it, we don't get it. That's okay. That might be what lures people into your little family group on your blanket. Hey, I've got brownies. Well, I've got brownies with walnuts. <laughs> Up the ante, I don't know. Whatever works. All right. Any other questions? Okay. Bring a pool? No. 
Mike, we're not setting things up. You can bring a pool if you'd like. You have one of those six-foot kiddie pools? Yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> all right, so now we'll start the recording on the tape, <laughs> and we will go into our sermon time, all right? So we, we've been in Jonah, and we're finishing Jonah today. We've been talking about God's scandalous grace, and it's scandalous because it's an outrage when people look at it and say, how in the world can you love people the way that you love people? How in the world can you allow what you allow and still accept and draw people to yourself? How in the world are you not done with them? And see, let me, I, didn't, I chose that word very, very carefully. See, it's scandalous because most people look at God's grace and say, I don't understand how you can lavish it on them. Right? But the real question is, how in the world can you lavish it on me? God, you've lavished your grace on me. And if, if I can deal, deal rightly with God and understand the, the grace that he's given me and, and be, be face-to-face with God, eyeball-to-eyeball eyeball with him, and be drawn, driven to my knees in humility because of the judgment, because of the wrath, because of the anger of God, and be drawn to my knees in humility and, and driven to my knees in humility because of the compassion and love and grace of God that I will weep before him and I will be forever, forever changed. You know, I mentioned this before, that when we're, when we're in the presence of God, we, we, we will. We will be face-to-face and understand the depth of our sin and we will weep. And, and the Bible says, some people argue this sometimes. They say, well, Brandon, there's no crying. When you see Jesus, there's not going to be crying in heaven. And I, I think we're, that's wrong because Scripture says that what? Jesus will what? He'll wipe away every tear. And in order to wipe away a tear, you had to have a tear. Bible says when we know when we're face to face, we're going to be fully known and, and we will fully know. And I guarantee you, when I fully know and am fully known, I will break down weeping in front of God. And like a good dad, he'll he'll pick his son up, he'll hug him, he'll love him, and he'll just wipe away those tears. I do that with my children, right? They start crying, I I wipe away their tears. Bailey's a little different. Bailey likes to wipe away her own tears in my shirt. So she'll be there, she'll be like, Daddy, you, know, you can see she's kind of getting over it. She's kind of giggling about it, and she's getting better. But yeah, he's going to wipe away our tears, and then there will be more, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. But we will fully know, and when we're face-to-face with God and his judgment and his wrath and his perfection and justice and holiness, and when we're, then we're face-to-face with even though that he's just, he's put that justice on Jesus, and we're face-to-face with the compassion and love of God through Christ, we will have no other place to go but to our knees. See, that's what grace does, and it's scandalous to do that. But if we think through that, we, we just embrace that scandal that even while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. That there wasn't something that I did or can do that can separate me from God if I'm in Christ Jesus. There's plenty I've done that has separated me from God. But Christ has pursued me, and I have believed in the Son, of, Son Jesus Christ, and I have found forgiveness of my sin and, and redemption yeah, I'm a failure. I'm a mess up. Yes, there's sin in my life, but God. Amen? And that's where we find grace. But it's scandalous because lots of people say, well, I want that. I want the benefit of it, but I don't, they don't deserve it. They're, look at how bad they are. We talked about those enemies we think are enemies, and Nineveh was an enemy to Jonah. He didn't want them to have grace. He didn't want them to have redemption. He didn't want to have them have the mercy of God. He wanted them to have justice, right? The strong arm of God to come down on them. Last week, Alistair uh, brought a message, and he talked about the first part of chapter 4. And, and it left off with a question, right? God, God had a question to Jonah in verse 4. Is it right for you to be angry? So God questioned Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? 
Right? And Alistair presented that our unrighteous anger puts us at odds with God's mercy. It puts us at odds with God's mercy, right? And it puts us at odds with God. When we are unrighteously angry, when we think that we can control mercy, when we can control grace, when we know what's best, that obviously puts us at odds with the one who really does know what's best. He said last week that you know, our real hope comes from knowing God. When we really know God and love God and believe God more than we believe ourselves. When we, when we make God the king of our lives, the Lord of our lives, and place him on that throne and dethrone ourselves, then we have this hope. But today we find Jonah, after God asks him, is it right for you to be angry? We find Jonah at odds with God. And what he starts to do, he wallows in selfish pity. He essentially has what us parents call a pity party. Right? A pity party. You're, you're throwing a little temper tantrum. So we're going to see today what selfish pity exposes in our own lives, okay? Let's pray together. Father, as we go to your word today, we ask that you would guide us into truth, that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we would be receptive to your word. God, you would challenge us and change us to know you more, to understand the character and nature of Almighty God. God, that you would drive us to our knees, God, in grief, but also in humility and joy, knowing that you have have called us and you have redeemed us. Change us today, God. Turn our hearts upside down that we might love what you love. Weep over what you weep over. That our affections would be yours. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so selfish pity. Number one, selfish pity doesn't leave room for others in your shelter. Selfish pity doesn't leave room for others in your shelter. Let's look at the text, uh, verse 5 of chapter 4, if you'd follow along. Jonah left the city and he sat down east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. So we see the city had repented. He came to that message, said 40 days and Nineveh is going to be overturned. And, he, and they, they turned their hearts. They, they repented. Within one day, the word started spreading. He, could, he had to stop or he did stop. And it got to the king, everyone. I mean, it was like everyone repented. Let's redeem everything here. Let's make it a testimony of the image and creator of God, and we want to we be that too. We want to be the redeemed and believe in God. And then he was angry because he knew God was gracious, but he wanted judgment on them. And God asked him a question, didn't he? God asked him a question. Is it right for you to be angry? And that silence is exactly what God heard. Jonah didn't respond with, oh, you're right, it's not. Who am I? I'm just your creation. What he did in verse 5, his answer was, Jonah left the city to pout. Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made himself there a shelter and sat in the shade to, to see what would happen to the city. Now the shelter he made, the word used, resembles the same word used when, the, when they had the festival of booths. When Moses was instructed to create booths and tents in the desert to, to be a testimony of the shelter and provision and protection of God, that they would worship God in that way, remembering his redemption and his protection. That a shelter created for your family and your friends to come and, and, and shelter in was a remembrance of what God had done and how he'd provided. It was to be a form of worship. So when Jonah, a prophet of God who knows that, goes out and builds a shelter, we think, oh, good, he's going to go build a shelter, which is going to be a change of heart. 
because he's ready to worship. He's ready to thank God for what he just did, for the protection, that God is actually the shelter now of these people that he hated. But what, what was the reason it said? He said he went to build a shelter, and he sat in the shade. So one reason was for shade. And he sat in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Jonah could care less about worshiping God for the redemption of humanity, of people. Jonah was angry at God and wanted to see if God would change his mind again and say, oh, you know what? Yeah, they repented. They turned and believed in me, but they are still just, they have had a wicked past. I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to wipe them out. See, Jonah was hoping that was one of the cases. Or he was hoping that the Ninevites would repent from their repenting. That, that they turned from themselves, from their idols, from their thrones to God, and he was hoping that they would just change their mind and turn back. And then when they did, God would say, oh, yeah, Jonah, you were right the whole time. Sorry, you were right the whole time. i got to wipe him out. Jonah went out of the city to pout. Jonah moves east and out and away from the city, and it seems, it seems to signal his return to his previous rebellion. When God said, get up and go, he said no, and he went the opposite direction. Now Jonah is confronted with God and his grace and, and doesn't say a thing. He just leaves and flees and goes out on the hillside. Now, when he, when he fled the first time, he fled down to Joppa and got on a ship and went out to sea. And what happened? The sea went on top of him. Right? God followed him and pursued him with his scandalous grace, the grace of a storm. There were tough times, there were turbulent seas. And his second flight outside the city now leads him to an arid, dry, hot desert. Why, why do you want to go to the desert? Why do you want to go away from God to the stormy sea? Both environments seem to symbolize the chaos and death that correspond to Jonah's sinful heart. The spiritual condition that lied within Jonah was shown by the turbulent waves and the hot, arid desert that he, he fled to. He fled to those environments. And he brings it upon himself. We do that, don't we? We run away from God or we want to get out of God's presence or out of God's favor and we run somewhere and it's not any better at all, ever. The other day, we had this, you know, this, as parents, there's this discipline time, right? We, we want to train our children up and, and it, my daughter and I have had, have had lots of discussions lately about actions and about consequences. And the other day, she was, she was doing something. She was kind of hanging on the screen door a little bit. It wasn't a big deal, but I just didn't want her to hang there because it could break or she might slip off and fall and hurt. Something might, you know, it's one of those things like, you shouldn't do that. Please don't do that. And it was simple. I was just sitting across the room. Hey, Bailey, please stop hanging on that. Bailey, please stop hanging on that. Stop hanging on that. Bailey, stop. Bailey, come on. You know, like, you need to stop hanging on that. And I, when I finally got her attention, I had to go and I grabbed her and I, I brought her to myself. And I, I stood her in front of me. I sat on the edge of the couch. I stood her in front of me. So we're eyeball to eyeball. And I just started talking about the decision that she made and why she made that decision. It was one of those things that, that kids dread, right? It's, you, you dread that. You're, now your parents can get all deep on you and make you internalize things and think about why you did things. Like, I was just having fun. I'm a little kid. But we started talking about it. We started talking about the consequences of actions that you need to listen to daddy and mommy the first time we say something. It's really important that you hear us and that you listen at the same time, that you then respond in obedience. It makes it really easy. And we're going on and on. I'm talking to her and she's responding. And in the middle of that, she doesn't do, she doesn't do what she's supposed to do and she doesn't listen. So we have to kind of click her back here and talk about it again. And then she, she says at one point, 
Daddy, how long is this long story going to go for? How long is this long story going to go for? It's probably how you guys feel on Sunday morning, huh? How long is this long story going? So she, and I, I was like, oh, okay, another teaching moment. I said, Bailey, Bailey, as long as it needs to. Yeah, I said, Bailey, here's the truth. This never, ever had to be a long story. If you would have listened to Daddy the first time, you could have gone about your business and done whatever you wanted and had all the freedom there to do what you wanted. No conversation, no heart-to-heart talk, no in-depth discussion. <laughs> but you chose, by your lack of obedience, you chose that consequence. And see, teaching toddlers is impossible sometimes. Teaching us is impossible. We tend to choose our consequences, don't we? Yes, we do. Jonah just delivered a message of hope. Well, he didn't think it was. It was a message of judgment. But to the people of Nineveh, it was the message of hope that was like gold. Like, thank you for bringing this. The king got off his throne and sat in a pile of ashes. How, how thankful do you think these people were to Jonah? Probably exceedingly thankful. Jo- Jonah decided that he, his anger for God and his grace said, I can't be part of that. I'm going outside of the city to go sit in the desert. He could have probably sat and reclined in the king's palace if he wanted to. Had everything he would ever need because these people had a healthy respect and thankfulness for him, right? So his choice brought him outside of the, of the blessing of God, that God, God wanted him to have this freedom, but his choice to rebel in his heart pushed him away from the city and led him to a consequence. First consequence was the stormy sea, and then, of course, the water as he got thrown in, and then he got rescued, and then he got hurled up, right? That was another consequence. And then he had to make that long trip, and as he's there, he's thinking he's preaching judgment, but God uses it for something else, right? It's, it's con- conviction, and, and it turns people's heart around. Jonah is not a happy camper. He's not excited about what's happening, and he chooses to flee and makes that choice again, and it's his choice that brings him outside the city to this dire place. Listen, and again, booths, tents, huts in the desert were meant and should be a symbol of God's protection and provision, but Jonah used it because he just wanted to be in the shade, and he used it to hope and sit there and watch and hope that God would change his mind and destroy Nineveh. See, he shows a knowledge of God and his judgment, but he shows a rejection of God and his compassion. In Jonah's world, in Jonah's view of the world, there was no room in his shelter or the shelter of the Lord for anyone other than himself or his people. He didn't build a hut big enough for anyone else. It was his. Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to be apart. He wanted that exclusiveness for himself. So how, how about you and I? Is there room for anyone else in your shelter? If you and I have come, been driven to our knees in humility before God, and God has changed our heart, if we, if we go to him and we, we are weeping and he wipes away those tears, there should be a shelter that is big enough for anybody that we come in contact with. That God's grace to us was so impressive that it can go to anybody. Paul says that he, he was the chief of all sinners. He said, there's no one worse than me, and God got to me. Sometimes we talk about that in, as, as a teacher, like you, you got to pray for your Saul, because God can turn a Saul into a Paul. 
Isn't that amazing? God's grace is that amazing. And our shelter needs to be big enough for those who might need his grace. Are you living in isolation? Or are you living in community? Are you living in isolation or are you living in a community? Are you isolating yourself, withdrawing yourself from, from the body and the fellowship of the family of God? Are you, are you withdrawing yourself from the community who doesn't know God? Are you wanting to be a lone ranger or an island unto yourself? You just carry your own load? See, that's what Jonah did. That's what Jonah did. My hope is you've made room in your shelter, the shelter you found rest in, the shelter of the Lord, because He is your provision. I hope you find room in that shelter for those who need to understand and know the compassion of God. But there are also times that we leave, we leave our doors closed or we make our shelters small to isolate ourselves because we feel like we still don't deserve the compassion of God. So I would say this to you as well. Don't isolate yourselves in that situation. The question is, have you made room for those outside your shelter who, who can come in your shelter and who will give you encouragement and show you the compassion of God. See, that's called community. We're to be in community with one another. That's the one another's. That's why next weekend, I'm, I'm so excited for next weekend in the park. Because that shows the raw, real community of God. It may make us a little uncomfortable, but that's okay. We're bound under the shelter of the provision of the Lord. Together, united in Christ for His glory. Let's make our shelters big enough to show compassion and to receive compassion in community. Second thing we see about selfish pity is it doesn't stop God from pursuing us with His grace. You and I being selfish and having selfish pity does not stop God from pursuing us, does it? Let's look at verse 6, 6 through 8a. It says this, Then the Lord appointed, uh, God appointed a plant, and it grew up to provide shelter over Jonah's head and to ease his discomfort. So he, he had chose, right, a discomforting place. But God, who is rich in mercy and grace, pursued him and lavishes grace on him. He, he didn't deserve this plant, right? Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. First time in this book you're going to see this greatly, Jonah greatly pleased. There's like exceeding joy going on here. The rest of the time in Jonah, he is miserable. Miserable. And he is in misery because of his own actions and choice and rebellion from God. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. Uh-oh. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. God was pursuing Jonah with grace. Let's, let's look at this a little bit. You know, despite Joni's, jo, Joni's, <laughs> Jonah's, Jonah's handiwork, right? He built this little shelter. Uh, Jonah could not provide enough relief from his own misery. He doesn't seem to be at ease or to have any peace. He's miserable. And his gracious God sees that. But here's the deal. He's miserable. And we say this. It serves him what? It serves him right. He deserves that. Like, I, I'm, I am so tired of Jonah's attitude. At the end of the book, he deserves it. He should just die. And that right there, that attitude, maybe what you're feeling right now, that's the Jonah attitude. That's what Jonah's been saying all along. And see, we can get pulled in there so quickly, can't we? 
he so deserves it. I, I, he deserves it. Serves him right. There might have been a time when people said that about you. There might have been a time when people said that about me. Probably not the last time. Aren't you glad that God pursues us with his grace? Aren't you glad that he took what we deserved and he placed it on Jesus so he could lavish us with grace? So what does God do? What does this gracious God do? Instead of what Jonah deserves, God says, I'm going to provide a plant. I'm, I am going to provide something that's going to grow and shelter Jonah and provide more ease and comfort than he has known recently. Because only in the comfort and the shelter of the Lord can we find that true, lasting peace. Amen? Amen. And that's what God is providing for him. So God provides it, and Jonah feels comfort and peace for the first time, and he sits in the shelter of the Lord. But it doesn't change him. He doesn't change. His heart doesn't change. God's grace abounds, but he doesn't change his heart. So God continues to pursue him with grace. Just like a parent would give good gifts to their children and give freedom to their children and grace to their children, when they disobey, there's going to be a long story. There's going to be a heart-to-heart. -heart. There's going to be something that's going to get your attention. I have a snap I use. When my, my daughter is not listening, she's just like, you are, you are so distracted right now. I just do that. And it startles her. And, she, and, and, she, and I try not to do it too loud to make her like really freak out and cry. right? But she, she snaps in. Okay, okay, yeah. Yes, Daddy. Yes, I'm listening now. I'm listening. Sorry, I don't want you to do that again. Let's listen. God sometimes has to use things in our life in his grace to pursue us and to snap us back into reality. He gives us a reality check. So what does he do? He appoints a plant, and then God says, well, that didn't change his heart. He appoints a worm to eat the plant, to kill the plant. And the plant withers and dies, and now Jonah is no longer under the shelter of the Lord and in comfort. Jonah is sorrowful. Jonah is sorrowful. Before we even see the reaction or hear what he says to God, God appoints another scorching wind to blow upon Jonah. Jonah, if you want misery, then I will show you misery. If that's what you want, if that's what it's going to take, I'll show it to you. And this makes him begin to wilt. Because here's the deal. All Jonah wants is all Jonah wants. Jonah wants everything for himself. He wants all of, of, of the grace. He wants all of the benefit without any of the responsibility. He says, I'm unique, I'm special, I deserve great things, but I don't want to change my heart. So God's grace then becomes a painful reality check. And sometimes he has to do that for us, doesn't he? Maybe you're here today and, and you're just loving, sitting and resting in the peace and comfort of the shelter of the Lord. Stay there. Stay the course. Rest there. But maybe you have decided to build your own shelter. And you have not received God's grace and, and, and continue to lavish it upon yourself, and you definitely are not wanting to give it to anyone else. Maybe you're in misery. Maybe God is pursuing you. Maybe God's knocking at your door. Maybe he's snapping you into a reality check that you would, you would view him and see him for who he is and get off your throne and let him be on the throne. Either way, we have to humble ourselves. We have to humble ourselves and let him be in charge. God will not stop pursuing us with his grace. Number three, here's what we see about selfish pity. It shifts our perspective from what really matters. It shifts our perspective from, from what really matters. Let's, let's look at the scripture again. Uh, the end of verse eight and then verse nine. 
So he wanted to die, and he said, It's better for me to die than to live. Don't you know you chose that? You, you chose this, Jonah, right? Okay, so going on. Verse 9, then, jo- then God asked Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Right, he asked him this earlier, right? Is it right for you to be angry? And he was silent and he left. And then God had given him grace of the plant, and, and, and he didn't really change his heart, understanding God's grace. So the, the plant withered and died. It was gone. God took it away. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he replied, yes, it is right. I am angry enough to die. I am angry enough to die. Well, talk about a perspective shift that has to occur here. I, I want us to think about this for a minute. Um, this, this is where he kind of starts or, or shows his little toddler temper tantrum, by the way. He starts to just kind of whine and cry. He is irate. And the question really God is asking, aren't humans more important than vines? Aren't human souls and the grace shown to human souls more important than the grace I gave you in a vine? That is just temporary. It's just a little comfort. And it's kind of that rhetorical question, isn't it? God begins reminding Jonah of the selfish pity he felt for the plant. And see, it was pity. It was a pity that was motivated by comfort rather than the plant's life itself. And I want to show you this and how we do it. You know, if you hear from a friend this week, did you hear that, uh, well, I'm not going to make a rumor up because you'll think it's real. Uh, did you hear that, that your favorite restaurant is closing down? The, yeah, the people, they, they had a, a loss in their family and they're going bankrupt and it's a really tough time for them and, and they're, they had to you know, put all their money towards these medical bills, so they had to close, close the restaurant down. It's like this. If I would respond back and say, well, where am I going to get my New York strip? Where, where, where do I go now? What? You, you kind of missed the point, didn't you? There's a family in need. There's something going on that's bigger than a New York strip steak. Don't you get that? See, Jonah just wanted the plan. I want to be comfortable. If I came and told you, hey, your, your tax accountant, sorry, not, not you, Ann. Your, your ta- hey, your tax accountant died yesterday. Oh, man, that's horrible. Do you know any new tax people? <laughs> really? Like, see, that's the difference here. Jonah doesn't care about the things outside. He cares about himself. He doesn't even care about the condition of his heart. He just cares about comfort. Jonah did nothing for the plant. Right? Rather, God was the one who provided it to care for, immediate, for Jonah's immediate need, his immediate discomfort. God is reminding Jonah that the plant was significant because it came from God. But Jonah didn't care that the plant died. He cared that he was uncomfortable. Right? Jonah is fine. Listen, Jonah is fine, and maybe, maybe you are too. Jonah is fine with God's grace as long as it benefits him and as long as he doesn't have to change because of it. That's when he's fine with God's grace. As long as it benefits him and I don't have to change. Well, how about you? How about me? You see, real grace, even the grace of a plant that shades him, real grace should drive us again to our knees and weep over our sin and for, the, for others who need grace. That's what grace does. And if we have a selfish pity, we're going to misalign and change our perspective. We're going to shift our perspective away from that. Finally, number four. Selfish pity 
fails to acknowledge the image of God in creation. Fails to acknowledge the image of God in creation. I struggled over this point. I, I rewrote it a few times, and God kept bringing me back to the same verbiage. And I, and I think it's important for us to really understand this. The Lord said, look at verses 10 and 11. So the Lord said, You cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. In verse, 10, verse 11, Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? God leaves this rhetorical question. But what God says, you're, he said to Jonah, you care about something that you didn't work over, that you didn't build, that you didn't create. And the, and the, and the juxtaposition to that is this, I'm God. I created that plant. I created you. I created Nineveh. I am God. I created and I created in my image. And even the unredeemed in a horrible, immoral city, even the unredeemed crystal shops in Mount Shasta, even the unredeemed New Age philosophy or cults around our Aryan community, even the unredeemed show and share the image of God because they were created in his image. I've, I've said this before. The, the most ardent atheist carries about them the image of God, although they reject every notion of God. Why? Because whether they're an atheist or not, God still created them in his image. And Jonah is not, not giving a proper respect to the image-bearing creation around him. God created in his image. And so I said, even the unredeemed are image-bearers so he says to Jonah, basically, who do you think you are not to care? Moreover, who do you think you are not to care about those who have since been changed by me? We're not talking about immoral city anymore. We're not talking about wicked and evil anymore. We're talking about you don't care about those whose hearts have been changed by my grace anymore. And the provision I've given that city through the animals, the cattle, right, through their supply of uh, of grains or whatever it might be that I have provided. I am God. You're not God. And remember Jonah's selfishness, right? He wanted God's grace, but he didn't want it to change him. At the same time, he was trying to keep the grace for himself and take it away from those who had already been changed by it. Oh, no, you, you can't have that. It's not for you. You can't have that. Let's try again. He wanted to be God, and God called him out. And, and listen, I I said this early service, I didn't say it, say it to you. This book of Jonah, in a couple minutes when we are done, is going to either leave you very, very frustrated or very, very free as you examine your heart. Because here's how it ends. I, Jonah says, I should be God. I should be in the place of God, essentially. And God calls him out and says, should I not care about this great city? Should I not care about my creation? And that's where he leaves it. That's where it ends. Good job, God. Good, good response, God. Now, now what? Now what happens? What did Jonah say back to you, God? What did he say? Nothing. There's nothing there. And, and I really, I want you to understand, I think this was super intentional. You know, as the book of Jonah closes, we see no closure in the way Jonah was going to respond. I've, I've said, I've told you hints of things like, you know, it's, it's here. We have the book. So at some point, Jonah realized the depth of his, his like, ego and the depth of his unrighteous anger and was okay being totally exposed. 
or maybe had nothing to do with it, and God just gave the story to whoever he wanted through his Holy Spirit, and it's, it's here. My hope is that Jonah finally realized and came to his senses. But it doesn't matter. Because there's no closure for Jonah, but it's, it's there for closure for you and me. It's there to be a mirror that we can look in our own heart, and look in our own life and say, God, what, what do I need to change? What needs to happen in my life, in my heart? We are left with this relentless, scandalous, gracious plea to you and to me to do some self-examination. That's what's next. Let me see my own heart, God. Do I know you? Do I love you? Do I, do I understand your character enough to rightly place grace where grace needs to be placed? Tom Carlyle wrote a poem that concluded with these words. And Jonah stalked to his shaded seat and waited for God to come around to his way of thinking. And God is still waiting for a host of Jonah's in their comfortable houses to come around to his way of loving. God is patiently waiting for us to let him transform our affections by his grace so that our affections will reflect his own. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. God, you are you're amazing. Your grace is amazing, and God, it's so sufficient for us when we are so deficient. God, help us to not be the God of our own life. Help us not to be the God of your grace. Help us to be those who have been created in your image and have been changed by your grace. God, that we would shine for your grace, that we would show the world the amazing grace of God given through your Son, Jesus Christ. It's why we gather. It's why we worship. We don't want to be selfish. We want you to lead and to guide us. Help us to, help us to examine our hearts that we would be worshipers of Yahweh. And we pray in your name. Amen.